For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. There's a beauty to this world, an order. That's what we like to believe. We're not wrong. There is an order, a grand design. We made sure of that. It was a dream for so long, and we finally made it real. Not a better world. A perfect one. Welcome, you Johnny Meatsacks, or welcome, you modern-day Tom Sawyers. Your mind not for rent any god or government. Welcome to Aeon Bite, and I hope you like that little intro with, yes, Johnny Meatsack. My name is Miguel Connor, and I am your host and still your pompadus of Gnosis. I hope you are writing your own gospel and living your own myth on this Mercury day and a little early in the day, but uh, very excited about this topic, and it's a sink, it's a topic I have been really delving into these last few months. And with us to discuss the egregore of communism, it is a pleasure to have Keith Joseph. Keith, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's my pleasure and honor. Thank you, Miguel. Pleasure is all ours. It's a hunka hunka burning gnosis. And with us, too, we've got Comrade Graham, who I know there are rumors out there that he used to be the head of safety and diversity at Chernobyl. I don't know if those rumors are true, but Graham, thanks for coming on and being the wingman. They had fired me before everything melted down, so yeah, I, I think should. I'm in the clear. There you no, go. I, they should have known better. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this because of my deg- my official degree is economic, but they really didn't cover agricore as much in my classes. <laughs> they should have. Well, it's kind of a it's kind of taken fire. It's one of those terms that has been around, but uh, thanks to the work of individuals like Mark Stavish, it's really kind of become a uh, big part of the esoteric and a very important and necessary part. It really adds a lot and fills in a lot of the, the gaps too. So we'll, we'll definitely talk about that. I see people in the chat room uh, for you that may not know Vance is busy with his Clark Kent identity. So he won't be able to join us, but if you have any questions for Keith, please send them on the chat, super chat them and Graham will get them to them other than that not much uh housekeeping yes please support the show in any way you can don't forget about the gnostic tarot that's out it's doing very well and people are having great results with their reading so it's past that test uh astronosis the conference will be a reality march uh, not march what i keep saying march something about march it will be august 9th and 10th at the theosophical society so more to come on that one 
And uh, other than that, uh, life is good. Life's rich pageant, as REM sang. So, well, let's get started with you, Keith. Um, you are, this is not something you studied, but you were actually in the belly of the beast, weren't you? You were once in there. That, that's uh, that's right. I was a uh, communist organizer, activist. I did study it as well, but I was I was involved um, throughout the '90s and into the early 2000s with um, different Marxist Marxist Leninist groups, Maoist groups, um, front groups. I guess you'd call them um, communism in general. Organizes through front groups. That's um, to just put forward the views are is a little too um it's a cultic let's say through front front groups so um you know i was i've been thinking about it as an egregore since mark's book came out because um there's more to it than just the the um the actual organizing there there's something there's a spiritual aspect to it, although Marxism is is materialist, and I think the ultimate goals of Marxism are um, very much anti-spiritual, kind of um, maybe even to extinguish the light. Um, but there's something uh, in that that idea of a of a kind of mass thought form, right? If we think of an egregore as a mass thought form, that builds up power over time through sacrifice to the energy of its members. Um, and communism, of course, has made millions of blood sacrifices to the, to the egregore. So it, it's a powerful one. But let's start with uh, why you joined and then we can go to the mass theory. Sure. Because obviously when I was at like a senior in high school or freshman in college, it was like cool to have your Che Guevara shirt or yes. walk around with Marx. But we were just trying to be transgressive. We didn't know what the hell we were talking about, but it just seemed counterculture, if you mean. But what attracted you to this movement? I think exactly exactly what you're what you're pointing out there, Miguel, is there was a transgressive aspect to it. The the Che Guevara t-shirt, super cool. The image of Che, right? Charismatic. Um revolutionary. Revolutionary. <laughs> um at least in the early nineties, it was much the movement was much more associated with freedom than than it might be associated now, where you know it's kind of revealed itself a little bit more. But when I was young in, in college, that's when I got interested in those ideas. The, um, that's my dog barking. The mailman must be approaching. Of course. Um, Don't worry. Mine does it too. So the, those ideas became very interesting. They, um, the idea of freedom, you might remember in the eighties, the ACLU defended free speech very militantly. Um, they even defended, um, the Klan and Nazis marching in Chicago. Yeah. So the left was associated with freedom in a way that it, it, it's not anymore. But in the eighties and nineties, when I was young and that's what I was interested in, that was, that was attractive. And um, I, I guess there's in my personality, I'm a little bit extreme. So if I get interested in something, I, I go deeper and deeper into it. And eventually I met other people I was in college in um, New Jersey, and there was a lot of Marxist professors uh, in, in the early 90s. In fact, 
that's, I guess that's the theory now. Once the working class became kind of, the, the Marxist intellectuals are disillusioned with the working class, with their, um, their radicalness. Their, you know, they weren't really the revolutionary agent that Mark had, Marx had predicted. So they started to kind of think of other ways of bringing about the revolution. So rather than, than rely on the working class, they start to take over um, institutions. So the colleges, the universities, public schools, um, low-level government posts, public libraries, places like that. And so there was, there's quite a few Marxist professors that I had access to, and the classes were, you know, openly offered. Uh, I took theories of the labor movement, and we just read Marx and Rosa Luxemburg and people like that. So really sophisticated professors. I think now it's 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 kind of spread out. So you'll have some kind of less less interesting professors, but in the early '90s, the professors that were teaching Marxism were were among the best that were there in terms of their sophistication, their, their ability to interest students, their, you know, the interest of their lecturing style and all that. They were very, very, very charismatic and very sophisticated. So uh, that, that's what attracted me. And then the, co- you know, there was a lot of repression in the college uh, in terms of free speech and attempts to control the administration wasn't so weak as they are now, where they just kind of give into whatever students demands are. So there was a little more resistance to, to push against. And it was a little more fun, I guess, to, to be involved in that. We chained ourselves to radiators, to protest tuition hikes. And, you know, it was fun to, you know, at first, at least. <laughs> Oh, indeed. Yeah. 90s college was kind of a blast. It was pretty, it was pretty wild. And yeah, I think they allowed much more ideas. I went to a a Catholic university and yeah, we could go out into the, the, the mall and different groups were all allowed, even like pro-choice groups. And, you know, everybody was just, everybody was allowed to uh, scream at each other and we, everybody debated and that was it. So there was a the nineties unspeakable. Just the time was a uh, the last kind of like golden age of the country. I think the yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> our president was virile and and um, capable. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, indeed. And uh, so, what uh, what made you decide, or when did you take the red pill or the black pill and realize <laughs> I gotta get out of I gotta get out of here? Said the Joker to the thief. So. <laughs> You know, like I said, I was really interested in the ideas. I started to to um, study Marx, Marx's economic theories really intensely. And it didn't jive with the kind of um, stuff that we were doing practically. And the more I looked at it, the more I investigated, the, I started to realize that, you know, Marx's analysis of economics, of capitalism is really profound, really interesting, really deep. Uh-huh. But it doesn't give, it doesn't provide the sustenance for the politics that were being kind of um, pursued. And I'm, I'm not saying that communism is never real communism have never been tried and that it's actually a great idea. It's a terrible idea. It's definitely been tried. That That's not <laughs> what I, I'm saying. Marx's theory though, I think is, is not, doesn't really, if you read it carefully, doesn't necessarily lead to that. Um, doesn't necessarily lead to that outcome. It just kind of says, Look, the the society's progressing towards this kind of technological domination of everything, and it's going to lead to an economic breakdown because there's no there's not going to be any way to make profit. There's not going to be any jobs, <laughs> so there, there's something's going to be there's going to be a problem at some at some point. But 
you know, pursuing those, the theory and then asking questions and kind of debating it and coming up against kind of irrational belief and irrational really um, refusal to engage in the ideas. And then I just start, you know, thinking about them more carefully. And then I start opening my mind to more things. And I would suggest that's probably the way to get out of the egregore. Ultimately, you open your mind up to more things and you start to see through it. And, you know, the more I, the more I started to see through it, the more isolated I became from people that I were formerly uh, allied with. And, you know, it was kind of a slow process of mm-hmm. disconnecting and then kind of all at once, you know, at some point it was just, <laughs> a, you know, it was, it was kind of radical. And I did, I had started meditating and I did start um, pursuing spiritual practices more intensely, which I, I think also helped um, kind of free my mind a little bit from that. Yeah, good. Yeah, you went inward. And yeah, it, it's, as many have said, uh, Marx got the problem right, but he didn't have a good solution. His solution was terrible. Yeah, I don't even know that, you know, I think his solution is almost is almost um, piled on top of the theory haphazardly. Um, because, you know, he's saying that the working class, because they're in the production process, when the system collapses, they're going to have some special privileged position in order to enact the revolution. But at the same time, his theory is saying they're being expelled from the production process by technological change such that they won't even be there. And if you look at like a modern auto production plant, it's all robots. There's no, you know, there's like one guy sweeping the floor, (laughs) you know, there's no, there's no people there. So the idea that workers are going to seize the, the production process isn't, doesn't really follow from his theory um the timeline on his theory is mistaken but i think he just misunderstood how how much capitalism could really develop technology um yeah for sure for sure well let's talk about the um psychological or sociological (laughs) issues that brings this and i don't i don't want to call it marxism i don't know if we want to call it totalitarianism because as i study this I realize there's a big difference between Marxism and Leninism. I mean, Leninism is not material. That guy was very esoteric. I mean, Freemasonry and God-making and we're going to go to the start. Leninism is very occult and mystical. And then you go to Stalinism, which is very different than Marxism. You know what I mean? There's, And then fascism. Hitler was just Lenin 2. I mean, Stalin 2.0. It's a, So there's there's nuances to these totalitarian movements. Yes. And, and if you're in, if you were to get involved in the kind of um, Marxist politics in the United States, there's probably 20 different mm. sects of, you know, nuance. There's Trotskyite movements, there's Maoist groups, there's Maoist groups that disagree with the other Maoist group. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's very intricate. They call it, I guess, the, uh, narcissism of small differences but it it, i mean it's it's a very like crazy thing which i think feeds the psychological aspect because you think you're doing something really important because even though you're a maoist among a sea of maoists you you have the right idea so there's a thing where there's a it's almost like messianic you have the right idea and so whenever you're talking to somebody, the only reason to engage them in the conversation is not to have a, a mutual exchange of ideas. It's to get to the point where you can tell them the truth, right? Which right. only you have. And so there's that kind of means that justify the ends idea. 
You see it even with the environmentalist movement, right, where the environmentalist activists can fly in a private jet and have, you know, this huge carbon footprint. And it doesn't matter because they're doing this important work and they have the truth and they have to spread the idea. So whatever hypocrisy flows from that is irrelevant because the truth is being spread and they're the one they're the only ones that have it and that that idea is is in these groups you know um they all believe that they have the right idea and they that's where political correctness comes from right to be mm-hmm. politically correct i have our group has the idea the right idea and it's the politically correct idea it's the idea that's going to advance history in this certain way and so we have to promulgate it it's a it's a pretty intense mechanism in the psyche right where you feel like you feel like you're the messiah almost right and your group is the messiah and you have to you know there's a this huge weight that you are carrying to save the world and <laughs> and make history right and you can see today with the the modern leftists how you know crazy they respond to any slight whatever you know perceived slight there's this huge reaction from them and i think that's part of the psychological mechanism right um if you look at their newspapers for example the the hard left newspapers well i used to have newspapers i guess now they have websites (laughs) um but every article kind of ends with that's why we need the revolution tomorrow you know they they have to say that and it, you know, there's always, no matter what the subject is, the line always has to be put forward. One of the weird things about it also is that when you're in the group, you're looking for the issue, any issue that you can use to organize people to propagate the idea of communism. So like we fought against tuition rises, but the only reason we cared about that was so that we could influence people towards communism. Mm. And you hear them even talk about that with climate change. The only real reason they care about that is to to put forward this socialist agenda it's it's with whatever issue at the end it's socialism is the only solution here's a problem and socialism is the panacea to all problems yeah pretty insidious and uh, yeah you're right i think i call this sort of the the dark gnostic side where again i've got the special knowledge and these archons are out there and we have the secret we're gonna rise and destroy the simulation that is capitalism and Yay. So right. <laughs> yeah. And then but the weird thing about the communist ideas or the this leftist idea is that the 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 image of the utopian it is this kind of completely homogenized, domesticated mm-hmm. it's a pretty tedious, it's almost like a zoo, a human zoo. Everyone is fed, everyone has a place to live, but it's it's just bland and the same and there's an erasure of difference and because you can't have excellence right you have you have to have everything has to be equal and so you can't have any difference with that with that idea and so you really just can't have any any striving for anything it just has to be basic needs and that's that's it you'll you won't have you will have everything um taken care of and you'll be happy right that's the the slogan (laughs) that's it that's it uh yeah well said and that's the other thing too uh, again i i hate these movements and i've been studying so much uh i can't believe something like the soviet union came it's almost like it's unbelievable that this thing happened in history something so evil but 
one book that I lean on a lot is Eric Hoffer's True Believer. He got it so well, and he, he talks about how they captured one captured Nazi officer. We're like, why did you join the Nazi party when you knew that it was bad? And he said, I wanted to be free from freedom. And mm-hmm. he talks about that people don't join these movements at first for identity, but they join it to lose identity because, let's face it, Life is full of paradoxes. Life is unstable, uncertain. Life is hard. If somebody can offer you something where I'm going to wake up and I'm going to have food and I'm going to, the train will be on time and everything will be certain and everything will be provided. And I don't have to get into arguments that blow my mind with other, everything is fine. A lot of people will take that, right, Keith? That's the attractiveness of these totalitarian movements. Yes, I mean, I, when you said the 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 true believer um, point, it reminded me of, and he's an interesting thinker in some ways. But Chesterton said that's the great thing about orthodoxy, right? You yeah. ecclesiastical authority just frees you from the burden of freedom, right? It just right. you don't have to you don't have to worry about what what should I do, <laughs> and so you you're and if everybody thinks like you, even better because you know you're right. Right. Everybody's that, thinking the same. And the person that thinks differently becomes a, a ver is becomes a, a real danger. That's the the one of the things that Marx says about the egregore is that it's a mechanism of social control. Right. Mm-hmm. So if one person is thinking differently, it and and the Maoist idea, they 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 have a whole theory of how arguments get played out. They call it two-line struggle. One of them is the correct line, and then there's the wrong line. And Mao has the correct line, and you you know you have to align with that, and then you argue it out. But you're having this two line struggle. But one person or one one of the sides of the argument is you know a counter revolutionary and terrible and so forth, and you're arguing it out. At first, you think that it's in good faith, but if you look at like the way that Mao played out in history, he had the period of a hundred flowers blooming. Everyone thinks, oh, this is open. We're going to have a debate. And then once everyone exposes their ideas, then they, they bring the cultural revolution and you get, yeah, you get iced for a year. <laughs> and so you, you know, it's like exposing people by letting them have freely express their ideas in order to then reeducate them or eliminate them. That's oh, yeah. That idea is in so the the interesting thing about when you mentioned like Stalin and then Mao, in in when Stalin was in power in Russia, he his idea was we're gonna transform the country into everyone's gonna be proletarian, everyone's gonna be working class. So they literally talked about liquidating the what they call the kulaks, the rich peasants, the kind of family farms basically. And the way they liquidated them was by by killing them. So liquidate them as a class. And Mao's idea was that you can't killing them is not enough. There's a they have a their ideas live on. They have a spiritual aspect. So we can't kill them. We have I mean you can kill them, but in addition to killing them, you have to reeducate them, and that's how you get that cultural revolution. And those ideas are the ones that I think are brought now into the United States. There's a lot more of this idea of cultural revolution attacking i mean if you think about our country as an egregore america as an egregore mm-hmm. they've basically destroyed the american egregore right you can't say you can't speak about the founding fathers of the country without a smirk a slur an attack 
you know, as soon as you mention Thomas Jefferson, you have to say he owned slaves, he mm-hmm. raped the slaves. You ha- I mean, you have to say it immediately or someone else is going to say it. And when it's taught in the elementary schools, it's taught that way. So whether or not it's that's the actual facts of it, if you don't have a founding mythology for your country, a basis for your country, you're destroying it. And so that's right. that's what's happening now. And it's a it's a psychological, cultural destruction of the country. Um that's that's pretty far along um it's and that's that's the maoist idea and um it's also this italian communist named gramsci um who is very influential um among present day marxist thinkers the other big idea which i i want to mention there's a uh these sociology professors, Marxists from New York City, uh, Cloward and Piven, their idea was to overwhelm the because once they gave up on the working class, they wanted to overwhelm the system with welfare, mm. make so many demands on the system for entitlements that the system would collapse. And this would expose how the system can't keep its promises. But that's what seems like they're doing now, with especially with the immigration and and giving out social welfare to people just because they cross the border illegally so that is going to eventually make you know you can see it right it's it's forcing the system into a kind of collapse once they lost the ability or once they gave up on the ability of the working class to be the revolutionary agent they had all these kind of alternative ideas how to make the system kind of crumble and that, that one i think they're they're certainly pursuing pretty pretty um forcefully agreed Agreed. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think when I st- yeah started reading about the Cultural Revolution, I'm like, we are so close to it. Yes, I don't think people realize how close we are to the next Stalinism. I mean, just blow by blow, you could just read it. It's uh, it really is breathtaking. What What about you, Graham? What do you think about this? Are we this close, or what do you think? Well, I was going to say one of the things I noticed is with the amount of double speak you have to do, you know, on YouTube and everything, it's like we've now reached the new uh, Pravda, <laughs> where everybody knows the truth, but they're not actually speaking it. You have to read between the lines. I, I mean, that's a really, it's a really interesting point, right? That um, even today, when I was thinking about, um what we might talk about, I was like, there's so many things that you have to occult and and speak esoterically about, because if you mention it, you're going to be, there's going to be at the very best, a a caption, you know, warning the, the, the viewer about what's being said and giving you the right think along with the video or um, outright uh, elimination of the, of the idea. And so we're, I mean, it's a, it's unimaginable from when I was in the eighties, when I was a kid where, you know, what they now say is like the absolutist version of free speech. That was just a normal understanding of free speech. Mm-hmm. Free speech was the right of people who you really disagree with to say what they want to say, not, you know, the right of everyone that we agree with gets to say it. And if we disagree, they, they you know, we explain why that idea is too dangerous to be spoken. Like that was never, I mean, that just wasn't even on the on the table where that's the norm now. Um, every every advocate of free speech will qualify it that, you know, some speech is not acceptable. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, well, it's a part of, like you said, politically correctness. And even in 1984, where they're they've got this dictionary and they're taking out words until there's a, a special dictionary with a certain amount of words. 
that's what we're going through, but online, right? Right. And the, the, the bright side about it, though, is that it does make for more interesting literature in some ways. Right. When you have to occult everything you say, it it makes the literature becomes more like a solving puzzles and the, the reader and the author then are in a, in a in a kind of play. I mean, obviously, I'm not advocating for oppression, but it there is a bright side there where you you can develop a more richer literature when you have to deal with the censor and you, you know, you can't say everything so bluntly, even fifties rock and roll. Sometimes the lyrics are way more interesting than the kind of stuff that's out now where it's so blunt and, and kind of gross. <laughs> um, so <laughs> there is a bright side. It is. It is. Yes. Yeah, speaking of American egregores, I think my Elvis book, I, I want to bring back the American egregores. I think he represents it and he shows us, there is something called an American identity, for better or worse, shadow side, light side, and we can get back to that. You know, what's interesting about that is that I remember as a teenager, uh, Elvis was attacked kind of um, by like the whole, um, this thing they stole all his music and mm-hmm. he's, you know, not really authentic and it's all a sham and really, you know, it's all Big Mama Thornton. and um, that and then it it was so that was that came so hard that it was a long time before I even listened to Elvis. I just kind of bought into that because it was it was the the theme of the culture, and I think that's part of the attack on on uh, the American identity, American culture, right? To to eliminate Elvis like that is a big <laughs> that's a big part of understanding the cultural history of the United States. And if you eliminate Elvis, there's like a gaping hole in your understanding um, of, yeah. of what's happening. And, you know, just from the little that you've posted on Facebook that I've seen, I mean, such an interesting figure and so much involved in the changes and the transformations of, um, of our culture from in the sixties and seventies. Um, so indeed, yeah. indeed. <laughs> even uh yeah because you listen to a song like jailhouse rock and you're like ah, jailhouse. then you're like wait a second this song is about homosexuality or heartbreak hotel is a song about suicide so even elvis was bringing again these artists bring dark themes light themes right. contra elvis was as much of an agent of change as he was a symbol of new america because the religious people hated him the fbi hated the government i mean he was really hated as much as he was loved in the 50s. You don't hear about that, but he had a bullseye on him by all these groups. Right, right. <laughs> yes. But an <laughs> interesting um it's it's just an interest it is just interesting how our culture is being attacked and that that right. to bring it back to the idea of the left thing they once they kind of abandoned the working class, which I guess kind of happened in the fifties. They really started to look for these alternatives and culture was a big one. Um, and, and attacking and attacking culture, you know, and attacking the, um, cultural institutions. And so if you look at what's happening now, they really have, if not, outright Marxist people that are pretty close to Marx in control of the journalism, legal apparatus, 
the election process, um, DMV, you know, all the, all these aspects. Um, and that was the idea, right? If you can't change the working class, then just kind of take over all the institutions. And Gramsci calls it the long march through mm-hmm. the institutions. And they, they've done that. Uh, it probably took 30 or 40 years, but very patiently gone through all the institutions. And that they've transformed the country. Um, and, and now the, the creation of this new culture is just this bland leveling homogenous, um, pasteurized, uh, kind of culture, um, where everything is kind of the same and, and difference is not really allowed. Yeah. 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 It's, it's pretty bad. Uh, well, let's talk about how this happened. Uh, again, it, it seems that this sort of totalitarian vibe is the dark side of the enlightenment. And it seems it's the idea, Keith, and let me know what you think. It's the idea of utopia. That's where it starts. Plus the idea, this arrogant kind of Victorian man, enlightenment guy was like, Oh, we've got industry, we've got medicine, we got science. We can fix the world. We don't have to rule it. You know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So if we move these numbers here and these people there and we do this, we can make a perfect world. We can make a utopian world for equality for all people. And of course, that's well led to the French Revolution and later on the other revolutions. What do you think of this? Is that where so, it started? No, I, I, I think that's right. I think that the, um, well, yes, the enlightenment is this, this kind of belief that man's human being spiritual life is the source of violence and, and conflict. And, you know, it's, it raises passions that are uncontrollable and so what, what needs to be done is that needs to be pushed to the side mm. and maybe even um, ridiculed subtly, you know, as, as, and, and more and more and more it is ridiculed. Um, it's, it's, you know, something that's vulgar and silly and religious practice even becomes silly. And the, that, I think that's part, you know, the attack on on a spiritual life is part of it. The idea that human beings can be changed, their nature can be changed, that they can be perfected by changing um, the material right. conditions, not by some process of self-transformation or some spiritual practice, but by changing the material conditions in which they live, they can be transformed um, without effort you know, that, that the material conditions will change them. Um, they were the, 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 the Soviet Union and, and Che Guevara, for example, really interested in this idea, the new Soviet man or the new communist man, new communist woman. They're going to change human nature. They're going to change people. And the way that you get totalitarianism out of that is kind of interesting, right? In the Soviet Union, they had these, um, and in Cuba, they did it as well. Uh, volunteer Saturdays. So you work all week and the weekend you're supposed to have off, but good communists are going to volunteer to work on Saturdays. So that's cool. You could see, right? 
hey, I really want to build my neighborhood. I want to build my community. Yeah. I'm going to go to work on Saturday. But what happens if you don't show up on Saturday? Where were you? How come you weren't at Volunteer Saturday? Now it's not Volunteer Saturday. It's Saturday with the uh, it's unpaid work Saturday, right? And it <laughs> it, it changes um, from this utopian idea into a totalitarian idea. And that that example is is almost the you know the perfect example of how that that comes about where you there might be a nice idea behind it but but then when it becomes the requirement you must do it um it's the same with charity right mm-hmm. <laughs> it's nice to to you know help people in need but it's another thing when they when they just take your money in taxes and give it to other people those are two different two different things right it's not the same same thing and one of them is totalitarian yeah, for sure. Yeah, and this idea of a one size fits all, all humans are the same. We're going to have the same cubicles and apartments and with little math and this. And that. Then, of course, there's always the idea, well, we got to, you know, we're going to have to break a few eggs to make this omelet. It's always like, you know, eugenics, the cripple, the minorities, the ones who talk. Yeah, we'll just have to get rid of them. But everybody else is equal. <laughs> right, right. And and the, the way that it is now you've probably seen the the diversity inclusion equity poster yeah. and it looks kind of nice the equity thing there's different sized people and the little guy gets a bigger stool so he can yeah, see yeah. and you're like oh you know equity that's that's a good idea and then the inclusion one is the piece that's not shown and that's where that's the participation trophy that's where they eliminate the game and so everybody can play. So there's like a guy on crutches playing and everyone. So now it's not actually a, a pursuit of excellence. It's just a participation trophy, which is nice on the one hand, but you see they've eliminated every, they've eliminated a whole aspect of human activity with the inclusion part of it. And so um, that that's, you know, that's where, where we're headed. I think um, this, um, this is the idea that one of the, the listeners commented on there, the, the contradiction between liberty and equality. Right. You, you can't have um, liberty and equality. You can't have them perfect. You can have a kind of, you know, you can pursue them both. But that was one of the slogans of the French Revolution was liberty and equality. Mm-hmm. And the more freedom you have, the less equality you're going to have, the more equality, the less freedom you're going to have. And that's, that's the, that's the balance. And so there's probably something that's fair, some balance that's fair um, or livable where you can still have a lot of freedom and you can still have a pursuit of excellence, but no one is really suffering or you can have a kind of totalitarian equality, which is, which is the communist idea yeah, and then you've got, uh, yeah, Orwell's uh, famous dictum, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal. So we're right so back to Marx. Saying, other problem. That was you have like, people exploiting yeah. the system, and Marx is like, wait a second, they're up there doing the same thing under capitalism. <laughs> so that was Lenin's big innovation, I guess, was in, in, he has this book, What is to be Done, where he says, okay, the workers aren't going to become revolutionary on their own. So what we have to do is we have to have a, a group of professional revolutionaries who become the Communist Party. And 
they're basically, you know, they become the party bureaucrats. So now they're not, they no longer work or the, you know, their job is revolution and they're extracting pay from the, the dues or whatever, the workers. And so you can see how that quickly becomes corrupted. At first, they may be the most dedicated people who are really pushing the cause of revolution, but over time that becomes corrupt and they're, they're separated from the, the, the group of people they're supposed to represent and they just become um, wealth seeking on their own. And then you have like the teamster bosses who have Lamborghinis and that sort of thing. <laughs> it comes right, right from that idea. Um, and that that's part of the, the failure of Marx's original theory, right? The working class isn't of it. It isn't really, there's nothing necessarily that's going to make them want to overthrow the system if they're not being, manipulate it in some in some way culturally or intellectually in some way and that was lenin's idea of the communist party was that that was the the tool that would be used to he said transform their consciousness right change their consciousness into a revolutionary consciousness that question of how people think is always the big question for the the marxist right even even on the soft left today they have this this like this book. What's the matter with Kansas? And they'll say things like people vote against their own interest, as if that they had some idea of what your actual interest is. And you, it's not what you think it is. It's there they actually know. And what you think it is 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 you have a false consciousness, mm-hmm. and they're going to give you the the correct consciousness, right? False consciousness is a big idea among. Um, among Marxists because it explains why people don't act the way that they're supposed to act from the, from that perspective. They have a false consciousness. Um, <laughs> yeah. You just don't know what's good for you. you just we don't will, know we'll, for make, you. we'll change you. We can build a better man, Steve we Austin, right? And that's, that is the cultural revolution, the re-education camps and, and th- that, that stuff that they, that they perfected in, in Mao's China. Have you ever seen the images? They put dunce hats on people's heads and, and then they start to get kind of violent with it. So they put like a metal dunce hat on your head and it would create, you know, it's a bloody affair. Um, Yeah. I remember when thrives uh... on blood. What's so special about hero bread, soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas. Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. <laughs> yeah, let's. we'll talk soon about egg or I definitely want to get to it, but yeah, it reminds me when the Soviet Union fell. There was 15 million members of the Communist Party. And you know, most of them were useless, not not necessary bureaucrats who just sat around and made their money from the people. It was just a disaster. And then when people ask me, well, what's the difference between the American Revolution and the French Revolution? I said, oh, that's simple. Hermes. One side had Hermes. One side was godless it's like you're talking about chi k chesterson he once yes. said a man uh, a madman is not a person who has lost his reason a madman is a person who has lost everything but his reason so <laughs> right. the americans had more than reason they had 
these traditions. It was it was in, inter it's interesting because the it was a new country, but they they did have a deeper kind of intellectual resources than the the French Revolution. The French Revolution did just they had this cult of reason and they really thought they could kind of start at zero, you know, year zero, mm. and we're gonna start from the beginning. And the um the willingness to use not that the American Revolution wasn't violent, but the kind of guillotine, like using that mechanization of of murder, right? That kind of continues um, with that that idea. But yeah, the French Revolution is is really this kind of brutal affair, and that's where communist ideas emerged. There also, um, there was the conspiracy of equals which was like the earliest communist ideas coming out of the French revolution. Although, you know, Judas also is probably the first communist, right? Um, he's, he's saying anytime there is a, is there an issue of um, money and, and is it being used to worship God right. or is it being used? Is it given to the poor? He's always like, why are you doing that? Give it to the poor. That same idea when like Notre Dame burnt down, the cathedral burnt down, like we can't rebuild it. Just give the money to Africa. Right. There's always this idea right. that you, if there's money, it has to just be given away to the poor. It can't be used for, for any kind of pursuit of beauty. That's a That's a very old, old idea. And I, I actually think that infects the, most of the churches. Now, most of the churches is our, that kind of Judas idea right now. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, the early Christians and really the Gnostics, yeah, they were definitely communists and socialists. It was all about dividing. But again, they also had, a, that, again, that, like the Americans, they had a spiritual dimension, a classic Greco-Roman dimension. Yeah, so that's why they weren't uh, hated or <laughs> violent right. or the all this The spiritual aspect stuff. is being destroyed, I think, in the in the churches now. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And... Um, yeah, what, so what do you think, Graham? Any question or remark? I was going to say, I think I, I, I kind of throw a nod to the Knights Templar as kind of communistic in there, too. The Knights Templar? Yeah, no, they had to donate all of their wealth to the Order, and then the Order all took care of them. It was very interesting setup that way. Hmm. Another one that I see a problem in today's society is the right not to be offended. That's a new one that wasn't there when I was growing up. Hey. <laughs> yeah. So that when we were when we were kids, the the slogan was, you know, um, stick and, sticks and stones can break my bones, but names can never hurt me. And if you if you were to tell on somebody for calling you a name, you were probably going to get in more trouble than them, right? The teacher would call you a tattletale, and that was a kind of that was what we were taught is not to tattletale. Now um, it's, it's the opposite, right? It, and the, the idea here is that your identity, no matter how much it disagrees with what appearances has to be validated and, and um, promoted. And so other people are then put upon, and that's the other aspect. I think that's a big difference with, the the rights that are actually espoused in the American Revolution, they're mostly rights to be left alone, right? I have the right to speak freely. I have the right to get together with my friends. I have right. These are I don't have the right to demand you give me something. That's ne that's not one of the rights. 
even uh, acknowledgement of my identity. That's not a right that's given to you in the in the Constitution. And those are considered to be natural rights, rights that come from God or from nature, because those are rights you just have. You're born with those rights because you have the right not to be killed. You have the right not to be messed with. You can talk freely. To demand, to say that you have a right to be recognized or even a right to health care, you're saying that there's a doctor that has to do something for you. And right. And that's a that's the totalitarian idea. It's not that the doctor volunteers to help you. That's nice. But the doctor has to do something for you. That's a totalitarian idea. And that's actually the basis of communist rights. Right. That's what they're and that's this right that you have to recognize. Uh other identities, no matter how much they don't conform to your ideas or your your eyes and what you actually see. Um, I, I'm speaking esoterically now, I guess, but... <laughs> it's very esoteric. Yeah, the, the problem with the Gen X idea of don't tattle and you're going to have to be offended and deal with it is that it was a paradox because we had these ideals that were right, but they also were putting us in these damn re-educational Marxist camps we call schools. They were putting us in prisons and giving us opposite. uh, (laughs) It was a a mind F, as you would say. It wasn't right. (laughs) So, I mean, the the problems with the public schools or the school system in general is so massive, it's hard to even wrap your mind around. um, But yes, putting children into these rooms and taking away from their parents at seven years old. Yeah. I'm sorry. And uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it, it is a crazy proposition. And that comes out of, I think the school system came out of like factory work and you're being prepared to work as a, as a factory worker. And now that's kind of gone. So you're just in there. And if you are, I had the misfortune of being a teacher for a while and your, your job is just like as a um, social control. Your job is just to make sure everyone's quiet and uh, (laughs) and teaching them, you know, makes them loud, then that's not going to, that's not going to (laughs) work. That's a problem. So it's a very, very, as you, as you said, it's a very, very repressive atmosphere. It's a very, very repressive atmosphere. thing i think unfortunately it's gonna it's gonna be a problem for our country because we're our young people are really not being formed uh very well by that yeah well that's what uh what rockefeller said i don't, I don't want a nation of thinkers i want a nation of workers which is what our education system is supposed to do it's break our spirits take away our identity and just make us good little workers Yes. And, and it's, it's, I think it's especially brutal for, for teenage young boys, teenage boys. It's especially brutal because it, it's a, it's just not what they're cut out for. I wasn't. And, uh, <laughs> so I got into a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, and that's, and you know, you asked me at the beginning how you get involved in leftism. Part of it is that that seemed like it was the opposite of what, Right, you're in high school, and who's who's putting this on you? It seemed like that was a right wing thing at the time, at least, and it felt like the rebellion against that was a left wing thing. Um, I don't think it seems that way now, but when we were young, that's how it felt to me, and that's what attracted me to 
left-wing ideas. I mean, when, when I was in high school, I was very interested in anarchism, punk rock music, the dead Kennedys, yeah. all that stuff was in the air. And that's what, you know, you start to pursue those ideas. But even like the dead Kennedys, that was a huge free speech thing. And they were fighting the, the PMRC and all that stuff. And, and um, I don't know if the younger people know that, but there was a, like a little cabal of, um, the wives of congressmen. I think Tipper Gore was part of yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Frank and Zappa they, was on the other side. Yeah, yeah, Frank Zappa was fighting that, and and uh, Twisted Sister and all those guys were, were fighting it. But that and so that all seemed like a left wing thing to me when I was a kid. You know, that seemed like that's what that was. Yeah, well, that's part of the other illusion. There's no two sides. It's just one side when you right, think that's, about it. It's like when <laughs> this one, yeah, right. like this conservative who had like a, a moment of Satori's like, wait a second, we haven't conserved a single thing. Right. We, we, we campaign, we write letters, we do this stuff, but the country's still just moving towards this totalitarian movement and conservatives and liberals are just helping out. I think that's the that's the that's the crucial point, Miguel. Is that there? Um, whichever there's there's a lot of like loyal opposition. There's a lot of keeping you in that in that polarity where you're. That's really the the unmagical position, right? Where you're manipulated on either side, right? They they say you know, like you mentioned at the Catholic school, you have pro-choice rally, and then you you get excited with the pro-life thing, and now you're just in it. You know, you're just being manipulated right. one way or the other, and you're not, you know, the, the real position that we want to be in is not polarized, right? Where we may say this view or that view is the right view, but it, we're not reacting to, we're not being manipulated by those, those disagreements. And that's, I think, part of what happened to me when I got involved in that. It's being manipulated by that stuff and pushed into um, responding, you know, reacting um, to to what I what I felt was a, a grave injustice, and yeah. it was. But but the response probably was not the right response. Yeah. Well, it looks like we lost Graham. Hopefully, he can jump back in. Maybe uh, the secret police came and got him, so he's, he's going to a gulag <laughs> room one hundred and one or something. Hopefully, he'll return. But uh, <laughs> no rats or anything there, right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, that's why I tell people you got to conquer your fears because again, nineteen eighty four room one hundred and one, they give you your biggest fear and you always break. If you if you don't have fears, if you're ex completely accepting of life, it can't break you. Right, and that's another that's another kind of tool of the magician, I think. Right, is to learn how to um, overcome your fears, and even the in mainstream psychology, I think that that's a useful thing. Is that that small exposure to your fears until you can you can overcome them is a really helpful thing right so the to not be polarized to not be manipulated by the the two sides and then to manage your fears by um having the courage to deal with them and if you don't have massive courage you can kind of develop it by those small exposures to the thing you're afraid of um yeah. you know one of the things that i <laughs> did when i was uh uh in in the thralls of being a communist organizers, I lived in the worst possible neighborhoods that you could imagine. Cause I thought that's where the, the revolutionary people were and I would be able to work with them, but it was terrifying and <laughs> unpleasant and stressful. Oh. But I, uh, 
I'm, in a way, I'm glad that I did it, but because um, I it was a it was a real thing to uh, fear to overcome. Terrible, terrible neighborhoods. Um, with uh, the first time I went out to hand out our newspaper, this guy came with a, a hypodermic needle and he threw it right into my papers, and I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> it's terrifying! Totally terrifying!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and for you guys, for the audience. If you don't think they don't know what your greatest fear is, they've already got that through algorithms. It won't take it. And that's what they're going to use again. They use that in marketing all the time. Fear of missing out. You're not popular. You won't be healthy. They play to our fears every day. And that's how they exploit us. Money, obedience, everything, you know. Watch out for the evil Trump or watch out for the evil Biden, whatever. It's just... Yes, I think that's the, the manipulation, the methods of manipulating people, um, the polarity, fear, and then, um, you know, also that the the self-importance is the is the other one that that was big with the communist organizing. Um, that you you know. The one positive thing I think from that experience is I'm much more humble about my ideas. I, you know, I'm not, you know, some get the message out. I don't know. I'm not trying to get the message out really because who knows what the message is. I'm more interested in hearing the message maybe <laughs> because it's, you know, the idea that, you know, there's a right idea that you can spread just, you know, when I, when I, you read like ancient, you read like Plato, they're still dealing with the same thing. Human nature is what it is. And there's possibilities for growth and development as individuals, but human nature is what it is. And, you know, I just don't think that that's that, you know, you're going to be able to change everybody that way or that it's even Mm. a a worthwhile thing to pursue. No, no. I think, uh, yeah, totalitarianism. It's It's totalitarian. (laughs) Yeah. Mass media really gave it its energy and psychology and, all this stuff, but it's been going around. Like, I don't know if you've watched this movie by Martin Scorsese called Silence. And it was a powerful movie because it's it happens in 17th century feudal Japan. And what happens is Portuguese priests are coming to Japan and they're converting Japanese to Christians. Of course, the, the government's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Shintoism is our state religion. <laughs> so they just kill all the priests and all the people who believe in Christianity. But guess what happens, Keith? the religion spreads even faster. Yes. So the government's like, this is not working. So they have to change their tactic. They change into a Stalinist tactic. They capture the priests. They find out what the priest fears the most. They torture him and they, 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 they turn his views against him. And when the priest converts to Shintoism, that's when the religion starts to, the movement collapses. Like you can't kill them. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure that they believe in our idea and twist the idea around. That's the Maoist. That's the Maoist move. That's it right yeah. there. The you know? 17th century. That's what the Japanese yeah. feudal lords discovered. Because yeah. so. killing, killing people, one, it feeds right. That, that martyrdom feeds the, the, the it opposition. Does. It could feed the egregore, whether it's a positive or negative egregore, that, that kind of, um, Especially if if you think about the egregore as a um as a kind of mass thought form, 
But then there's a kind of deeper dimension where it has a spiritual dimension where it can exist on other kind of planes, invisible planes, that those sacrifices give it a lot of energy, a lot, a lot of energy. Um, And I think that's, you know, with the communist one, the World War II gives it a lot of, a lot of power and um, probably, you know, it gives it enough power to make it through even to the collapse of the Soviet Union. Um, So, yeah. And the, but that, that's exactly right. You can't, you can't just kill people if you're trying the totalitarian thing has to get them to change their, their, their ideas. Um, like 1984, they couldn't kill Winston. He, they had to make him love Big Brother. That was the ultimate goal. To love not Big killing. There's which a he similar, does at the end. There's a similar thing with um, you might remember in Soviet history where they um, Stalin starts to kill. They called the old Bolsheviks, and so the biggest one was Bukharin, who was a you know major figure in the revolution. And so he has to go through the show trial and he's confessing and, but he actually writes letters to Stalin and, you know, he's like, look, I, I'm going to do the the confession. I'm going to say I did all these crimes, but I want you to know because we're old friends. I didn't do these things. <laughs> so he's trying to get Stalin to acknowledge him like on a human level, but Stalin refuses. He, you know, he says, you're not only are you going to, confess i'm not going to give you the the satisfaction of knowing that it's a fake confession um and so he he forces him to and what's even the what's the political benefit of that right that's a a kind of psychological spiritual humiliation that's that's um you know it's it's crushing i mean it's crushing to even think about um somebody going through that it's 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 pretty awful (laughs) No, it's so insidious. It truly is. It's like nothing. Well, again, it's happened in history again. Japanese, uh, you know, uh, Christianity conquering native people. You know, we're going to make you believe in what we believe. But I think with Stalin was, the truth is, the more I read about it, this guy was just Tony Soprano, but without the empathy or or even mystic. Tony Soprano at least had some mysticism, but these, I mean, they were just thugs at the end of the day, right? Mob he, bosses. They, they, they kind of were. That's how. So Stalin starts as a as a gangster, like as a bank robber. A bank robber. But he's he's doing, I guess, for the. He was the also party. weatherman of all people. Talk about liar. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, so he he was involved in that. And Stalin means uh, man of steel. Right. So he's, mm. he's, um, it was a different, you know, he had this idea of, um, I don't know. He was even, he was, he's a pretty brutal guy. And just, I think, um, somewhere he was a utopian also, but I think, but, um, also brutal. <laughs> and because there's easier ways of getting rich <laughs> if that's all you're trying to do. <laughs> so there's something, there's more going on than that. Um, I think he was a I'm not. I think he was a utopian. I think utopianism is is pretty dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, and that's that's the. I think that's an important point because it seems like the position of compassion, and it seems like it, it's that you want to do good and stuff, but it can be very dangerous. Um, 
especially when you start to get self-righteousness in there and um, self-importance and, and then even like we're talking about fear and polarity, all those things start to merge and you start to do things because you think they're right. And it doesn't matter the means, you know, the Malcolm X made that speech by any means necessary. And that was a, um, you know, on the one hand, you're like, you, it's understandable, perhaps, right. You're enslaved and you think what, by whatever means necessary, but as a, as a political programmer or ethic, it's a disaster. You know, it, it really is a disaster. It's, it's not a, um, it, it doesn't bring about anything positive. <laughs> No, it never has, and people still want to hold on. We'll get it right this time, and yeah, we should get to egregores. Uh, this is a couple kind of spliced together definitions for Mark Stavish's book. Uh, for those who might want to know, an egregore is an autonomous psychic entity composed of and influencing the thoughts of a group of people, a home or conduit for a specific psychic intelligence of a non-human nature connecting the invisible dimensions. What do you think of that, Keith? So, so interesting because there's the two aspects of it are there, right? So it's a collective thought form of, of living people. And then it also has this um, non-human aspect potentially uh, in the invisible dimension, right? So a thought form, you know, could be something very simple that you have yourself, a pattern of thinking um, could be positive or negative, right? You wake up and you just kind of give yourself some affirmations. I feel great. I'm going to kick ass, say whatever, or the opposite, you know, you wake up and I feel terrible and I don't feel like you're going to work and it's going to suck and everything's, you know, and so like you, you interact with people all the time and if you pay attention, you'll notice their patterns and habits of thought. And so that's, that's on the individual level. And, and, those patterns and habits have an effect on them. But then when you have a collective thought form where a group of people are putting their energy, their, their psychological energy, their psychic energy, their spiritual energy into a thought form, you have the, the idea of the egregore. And, you know, something like communism is this, this mass historical, it's a huge amount of energy. It's a huge amount of people putting energy into it. And the non-visible aspect or the invisible aspect, you know, obviously it's hard to speak about, but certainly any kind of spiritual entity that's going to feed on human energy and stuff could attach itself to, to something like this. And the communist one is, like I said, it's, it's a, it's a, it was multinational. So you had, there was a big, uh, German communist movement. Um, there was uh, obviously China, the Soviet Union, millions, you're talking millions of people. And so they're, they're all feeding this, this idea and that that's the egregore. And then once people feed it, it, it reacts back on them. Right. And so you start to have, you know, I noticed this, you start to have ideas that you, otherwise wouldn't have and they're probably not your ideas right they're coming from some somewhere else and you start to just kind of think about things that you normally wouldn't think about you entertain ideas that um you normally wouldn't entertain or you never entertained before um you know what you know if you saw some of the um the stuff that started happening in in after um the 2016 election there's kids like hitting old men with 
batteries and like swing, you know, like bicycle locks and like, I, I have a hard time, you know, that's, that's a, it seems to me like an outside influence, right? And that, that's kind of, um, that's the, this idea of the egregore, right? That there's, you're feeding it, but it's also directing you and it's controlling you and it's guiding you. And it's, it can be hard to escape from one um, once you've been in it for a long time, because now your, your social network, your friends, your identity is all bound up with that. And um, when I, when I got out of it, I, I got off Facebook, I got off all the social network because it was hard to, you probably realize this if you're involved in social media, that it, it, it's part of your identity, right? It becomes part mm-hmm. of your identity. And you might have different groups of friends who know different things about you, who are, you're kind of a different person with now they're all on your Facebook page and it's just a weird, it's a weird thing. Um, and it's, a, it has that social control mechanism. So I think adding social media too is another uh, complication. Yeah. Oh yeah. Again, it's this mass tool power, mass formation. Uh, it doesn't have to be a political group. It can be religious. It can be something like Coca-Cola or Apple, which kind of is a religion and it can be positive, right? I mean, like, uh, Mark has talked about alcoholics anonymous. You create a positive egregore that hopefully keeps people from going out drinking, how you can have a church and all these people are praying and some guy will lay hands and he this is documented that will heal that person's disease because again this egregore the energy just goes right into that human so it can be positive i think that's an important point it can be it can be a positive thing um and it it can be um it, in some ways it's necessary you know it could be a there could be a family egregore i don't hmm. think that you can have a nation without some sort of egregore right you have to have what's the basis of a nation or a country other than some shared belief system and, you know, some agreed upon myths and, you know, that that's the basis of the country. Maybe you could say it, even if it's an ethnic country, it's still shared beliefs and um, sports teams are definitely egregores or can definitely be yeah. egregores. Like uh, college football games college at the football. beginning when they're just, everybody's roaring and you're like, this is one <laughs> consciousness one uh-huh. entity and the it's so fierce you can just feel it through your you body feel that energy and Ooh. i think bands rock bands oh, have egregores um you know and it's weird like you mentioned apple you know people that are into apple are are really into it it's a <laughs> cult <know>? it has <laughs> like a cultish aspect to it um harley davidson motorcycles are like that their riders have a a there's a, a kind of spirit about the thing. And, and so that, so it doesn't have to be negative. It can be fun, um, but it can be negative, right? And it can be, it can be controlling. So the, the, the key thing is to, to know when you're, or to be self-aware, try to be self-aware that it's, that's something that you're involved in. I mean, I remember going to a Metallica concert when I was a kid in, in like 1987 or something. And like, it was very intense. It was a very, very intense experience. And, um, you know, everyone kind of looks the same, even like it's a, you know, there, you know, there's a lot of, a lot going in there. Um, so yeah, it can be, it can be a positive thing or a negative thing. And the positive ones can be very, um, fulfilling potentially. 
yeah yeah and of course uh yeah watch out don't lose your who you are know that they can become independent as mark writes in his book they can actually become independent and turn against the group so watch out for this these powers yeah i mean that's certainly when we talk about like the the, the suppression of the old bolsheviks right there's there's a degree of that that happened in china also you know the cultural revolution is attacking the old party members who were thought not to be radical enough or not to be militant enough um anyone who wanted to kind of take their foot off the gas uh was attacked in the in the soviet union trotsky was attacked but he want he was the opposite he wanted to he was the most extreme he wanted to continue the war he didn't want to make peace in world war one he wanted to continue and try to spread revolution and so there's a romanticism about him but he was actually the most extreme <laughs> yeah he wanted worldwide communism. World, yeah worldwide uh, and and world war to make it happen um yeah <laughs> so yeah the, the egregore thing i think the mark's book is helpful on that really interesting to Think about the different ways that you can have an egregore and the ways that can be beneficial or negative and how if you you know, kind of find yourself in the midst of one that you're trying to get out of, some ways of getting out of it. Yeah, for sure. What do you, uh, what, any questions, Graham, or remarks? I was going to say it's the, uh, you know, couple thoughts is you know the whole road to hell is paved with uh, good intentions and stalin didn't even have good intentions <laughs> and the uh, the first step after any revolution is to purge the uh, the true believers in the cause so only the uh, the, the ones who actually want to wield power are left that's true Those... it's a, it is i think the revolution in and building a government are kind of two different projects and sometimes the the more radical revolutionaries can get in the way of that um i think that's true there's the more idealistic less willing to compromise and um it's just more the you know it's the same in the church right if you really kind of get radical with the teachings of jesus it's hard to have an institution you know it's it's hard to it's hard it's hard to have institutions and and those charismatic ideas are are, are hard to maintain together the agriculture sure. has to change has to develop for sure for sure and um what was this reminding me of I think I just, uh, I think I just lost my thought here. I actually had a decent example, but oh, I was going to tell for the audience, uh, if you get a chance, there's a movie called um, uh, The Death of Stalin, and it really shows how absurd and evil the whole idea is, because this is a, it talks about how Stalin died and how he was just, he like had a brain aneurysm. And they didn't know what to do because his body was there. He was just dying. And the party didn't know what to do because they were too afraid to move him. They're afraid what the treatments they were just. And it's the whole process of, uh, you know, Nikita Khrushchev taking over, played by Steve Buscemi, who plays Steve Buscemi. So you have him playing like a New Jersey gangster. What the fuck are we going to do now that Stalin, <laughs> you know, it just, but it does really reveal how absurd and oppressive and insane it is. The whole idea of Stalinism. It's interesting because Khrushchev 
after Stalin dies, he tries to kind of like start a new chapter by kind of makes, they call it the secret speech where he yeah. know, denounces Stalin. But then that's what actually Mao takes Stalin's side and they, they split the Soviet Union and, and China have this kind of disagreement then. That's actually what allows Nixon to make the deal with China. And mm. that it's and that I think that actually had a big part in collapsing the Soviet Union because it disconnected them from from China. We're messing up that arrangement now, but <laughs> China and Russia are, are merging back together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That no, was a dude. that was a clever uh divide your enemies kind of uh maneuver there. It was indeed. Yeah, well, at least Khrushchev, he, you know, he did close down the gulag. He did reform. He did turn his back yeah, on Yeah, made it more of a normal, a, a more somewhat normal country. <laughs> <laughs> I think life became a little more normal after that. Um, and the same thing happened in China after Mao died. I think it's still, it doesn't seem like it's very pleasant, but it's not as like... Um, agitated all the time and insecure and you don't know you know where the police are coming for you and, and that sort of thing and yeah you're not living in fear 24 7 the fear moment you wake up to yeah to the moment you fall asleep which was what happened in stalinism and oh boy those were pretty those were pretty low bars to clear for both of us. <laughs> yeah that is true <laughs> yes yes that is right it is a low bar you can only go up Awesome. Well, well, as we get to the end, Keith, uh, advice on how not to be caught up in the egregore, the communist egregore. You talked about, again, meditation, contemplation. As I say, read a lot of history books. That'll help a lot because they are trying to cut us off from history. But you read some history books, you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> yes, I reading history books. And one thing that I remember in my mind was you know once i was in it i was almost afraid of thinking for myself and of reading alternative views because then i i i believe that this was the right you know lenin is right if i read something that's critical of lenin i'm going to confuse myself and so that's i think a day that's a kind of dangerous road that um and i don't think I, that was a unique thing in me i remember reading molotov's book it was called Molotov's Remembers, and it was like interviews that he did with this journalist. And he said, I just agree with Lenin. You know, I was in the party <laughs> meetings, and I just raised my hand when Lenin raised his hand. And I think that's one of the dangers is being, af being afraid to think for yourself, right? Being afraid of entertaining alternative opinions because you're, you're afraid that they're going to, you know, make you critical of of these beliefs that you have and you can't, you can't do that. You have to be willing to um, trust yourself, trust your higher self to, to think through these things and, you know, expose yourself to alternative ideas. It's the same, even with the, some of the, the big debates that are out there now where we're, you know, there's kind of a totalitarian view of them there's only one answer to climate change. There's only one answer to, you know, pandemics and this sort of thing. And, you know, if you start to just investigate alternative views, you get a more balanced perspective on it. And, you know, it's, it makes it so that you're not under, under control. It's definitely being free is, is not easy either. Like we were talking about at the beginning, you know, there is that, that relief, 
to be under ecclesiastical authority where they just tell you what to do. There is yeah. a definite relief there. And, you know, sometimes listening to, to um, you know, stuff that's, you know, confusing or, you know, breeds uncertainty is harder, but it's, it's better than being under control of something that you don't really understand, which is what, what I think is, you know, the, the leftist egregore is, is about this communist egregore is about, and, you know, people are, people are doing extreme things to their, their personalities and even their body, their, their bodies. And, you know, I would, I would be careful before I did something extreme to my body, for example, <laughs> I, I would, I would really want to clear my head first and, and think it through. Is that help? I hope that's helpful to people, but, you know, being, being willing to think for yourself and, and thinking for yourself means listening to a lot of alternative points of view. Yeah. Being uncomfortable with other ideas. Yeah. And, and being okay with that and, and being okay with uncertainty, being okay with not, not being sure and, and just have humility about it. It's fine not to, not to know everything. It's fine not to be certain. Um, it's okay. (laughs) Well said, indeed. And I would say, yeah, don't anybody who promises you a utopia run the other way. Simple as that. <laughs> yes, we are human. We're messy. We're messy humans. <laughs> yes. This is this is not a utopia. This is this is more likely a school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, what about you, Graham? Any last advice on how to not get trapped in an egregore? I would throw in, in addition to what you guys said you got to be prepared to live with the consequences of your choices. That's part of what free will is and learn from, from, from your mistakes. And the last one is, uh, you know, Molotov, I heard he could throw some explosive cocktail parties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The old jokes, the old jokes. I love it. Love it. <laughs> awesome. Well, we are at the end. Uh, good comments in the chats. Uh, like what everybody's saying, and I hope it's been useful. So I'll say, first of all, Graham, thanks for keeping us company. Always a lot of fun, and I'm happy to fill in when uh, Vance is otherwise occupied. There you go. Unless the secret police gets you, and then we'll we'll we'll, we'll find a way to break you out. But um, <laughs> excuse me, Ooh, got something in my throat. Sorry about that. And Keith. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Really enjoyed our conversation. And I should say, I'm going to put this up, but where should people find out more about you? I've got this here. Institute-4-HermeticStudies.teachable.com. That's uh, so the Institute for Hermetic Studies. I'm, I work with them. I'm uh, working in the teacher certification program there. We have a lot of courses on hermetics and um the whole tradition there that that you can investigate and the vox hermes blog um also from the institute that's where um that's where i'm working now that's where i'm i'm putting forward my ideas so um yeah please check that out are you teaching courses on communism or what are you teaching no uh there's a course on assuming the god form uh theurgy Mm -hmm. that i just did um, so this is still an interest of mine, but I, I'm expanding out a little bit also. 
Yeah, those are tools to fight uh, totalitarianism. For yes, sure. yes, <laughs> yes. But I'm so, hoping uh, to to come out with some, you know, uh, something a little more in depth on on this question of communism and egregore. But if good. I do, it'll be on the Vox Hermes website. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'll have this on the show notes. Uh, uh, whether it's uh, uh, Rockfin, all the video platforms, this one, and when I release the audio version. I will have it on the show notes. So check it out. I know individuals who've gotten a lot of benefits from the uh, Institute for Hermetic Studies, great courses, some freebies if you want to check things out. And yeah, a great staff that does great work for Western esoterica and Western civilization in general. So we are at the end. Well, thank you very much, Keith. We look forward to chatting to you again. And for everybody else, thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself. And yeah, stay away from the wrong egregores and embrace the right ones. And again, uh, hope you have the rest, uh, a good rest of your Wednesday. Take care, everybody. And thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Miguel. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.